Welcome to the Compounding Center Connections, where we talk about different health conditions with our partnered practitioners. I'm your host, Jake Gill, the owner and a compounding pharmacist from the Compounding Center in Leesburg, Virginia. At the Compounding Center, we collaborate with practitioners, create custom medications to help our patients get better. In today's episode, we have Dr. Sam Pappas with us. Welcome, Dr. Pappas. Great to be here, Jay. Thanks for having me. Oh, hey, so to our listeners and viewers, could you please uh, introduce yourself, give us a little bit of a background? Absolutely. I have to warn the listeners that when I get excited, my New Jersey accent comes out sometimes. <laughs> uh, so my name is Dr. Sam Pappas. I'm an internist by training, uh, a native of New Jersey who's wound up here 16 years ago. Uh, I've been practicing internal medicine for 20 years. Uh, I like to say I have one foot in the academic traditional internal medicine world and one foot in the integrative wellness, uh, the why, so not just the what, but the why. So I kind of try to use all modalities. Uh, and I'm here in Northern Virginia in, in Tyson's Corner. and uh, proud of the fact that, you know, we've been on our own for five years and we've actually been doing telemedicine since then. So it's kind of nice to see now that field is growing in these modalities like we're discussing today. But uh, I think it's really important to know the client uh, either in person or virtually. Gotcha. So um, I know you're located in Tyson's uh, Corner, Virginia, and uh, the name of your practice is Pathos Health. Correct. And you have a website people can go to, pathoshealth.com. Right. Um, and today's uh, episode is about discussing about men's health. And you look at men in totality. It's not just about testosterone replacement therapy. And, uh, and, and frankly, I look at myself, I'm in that age group now where I turned 50 and, you know, uh, 50 and I'm in that perfect category of where overweight, lethargic, not feeling great like I used to. And so we'll talk a little bit more in detail how you approach a patient such as myself. Yeah. Um, before we begin though, do you have any, uh, any words of advice of what we're going through now with COVID and hearing that there's a second wave of uh, cases that are rising cases that we're having? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing times for you know, people like you and I on the front lines here. Uh, I'm very respectful of COVID. I've been respectful for a long time of the immune system and chronic infections. Having done a lot of work in the integrative wellness world, seen patients with chronic and acute infections, you know, from Lyme disease, which is so prevalent in our neck of the woods here in Northern Virginia to where I'm from in New Jersey, the things like other infections like Epstein-Barr virus and mold and viruses in general and the problems that flu can cause. So very respectful, I've been following it very, very closely. Uh, you know, my philosophy is to kind of use all the tools we have. So I remember having had some interest in SARS-1 back in the day when it was uh, making it, its rounds around the world before it, it kind of fell off. So when the Chinese built two hospitals in one week uh, and mentioned SARS, I got very interested, followed it very closely, uh, and was impressed that despite not necessarily perfect research, a lot of these cultures, especially in the Far East, were using multiple tools. So I saw them talking about PPEs and mask and physical distancing, but intravenous and oral vitamin C and D using off-label old school medicines like antimalarials and antibiotics, you know, doxycycline and Plaquenil. 
medicines that ironically were used for Lyme disease. So, you know, our kind of philosophy has been to be engaged with our patients. One of the first practices to do significant antibody testing early on, uh, where really we're engaging with the local communities and our patients. And also telling them that, you know, despite the concern raised by COVID, we have a lot of control in our own destiny. If we work on our terrain and our immune system, and we can discuss this in more detail, we have ways to make ourselves more bulletproof uh, to handle the stress of an infection. Uh, so I think there's some cautious optimism involved on the personal level. And we've been fortunate that although we're a small practice and don't see high volumes, none of our patients who've gotten sick with COVID have been hospitalized. And we've used the full gamut of tools available to us, uh, including things like steroids and aspirin and Pepsid and, and vitamins, of course. So it's, it's definitely daunting times, but I think also opportunity for us to, uh, to, to get healthier and improve. So Dr. Pappas, uh, to our listeners, um, in, uh, for someone who wants to be prepared or you know, boost our immune system, um, any go-to supplements that you would say, hey, you have this on board now, so you are prepared? Yeah, I mean, there are. I mean, the way I would think about it, Jay, is first the foundation of our, our lifestyle. So are we getting enough sleep? We know things like apnea and snoring can raise inflammation. Poor sleep can affect inflammation. So to me, sleep and stress really impact our inflammation system and our immune system. You know, what's our diet like? You know, what's our body habitus? Are we skinny fat? Or are we overweight? We'll talk about men's health and, and, and metabolic syndrome, but those things are interconnected. So are we getting enough sleep? Are we eating real food? Are we exercising? Um, other things very important underneath that umbrella, fasting. You know, our tribes have traditionally talked about fasting for many, many years. So the role of fasting in the immune system, I think is critical. And then the role of hyperthermia, a lot of interesting research uh, from Scandinavia using saunas and hot baths and sweat baths to improve immune system function. So I think there are a number of things in the foundation we can do. And then you layer in uh, nutraceuticals or supplements or vitamins. Uh, we've known for a long time the role of vitamin D. So not surprising to you and I that vitamin D has been shown to be protective, preventative, and also for treatment for COVID. You know, C, uh, intravenous C has been shown to be helpful in a lot of hospitals, let alone oral C, zinc. Some of my other favorites that a lot of patients don't think about are NAC, you know, nice glutathione precursor, uh, quercetin. Quercetin is great for the immune system and allergies as well. Uh, elderberry, of course, uh, mushroom extracts, uh, things like cordyceps and whatnot. So I, I think there are some really good foundational products and tools we can use, uh, whether it's a la carte, uh, based on our needs. Uh, and if we do that, and we also layer in our lifestyle, that can really, really help patients. And then you talk about medicines, potentially, you know, we as a community of doctors have always given things like azithromycin, a Z-pack antibiotic or a steroid pack if someone had a cold. And now we're finding out some of these antibiotics had antiviral properties. So I think between uh, the lifestyle, the supplements and some targeted safe medicines, we have some tools that we can use in the beginning. And in my opinion, not unlike a bad viral infection and a flu infection, if we treat within the first few days, we'll get a much better response. Uh, than 
you know, just waiting. And unfortunately, a lot of our peers in our fields have said, well, we'll just wait till it gets really, person gets sick and then we'll send them to the hospital. Mm. All right. Well, thank you very much for that. Um, so, you know, men's health. Um, we, you touched a little bit upon uh, um, talking about, uh, you know, metabolic syndrome. Now, you know, we at the pharmacy, uh, we field a lot of calls. Uh, you know, one of our biggest specialties is hormone replacement therapy for men and women. And you know how women are more proactive, take care of their health, and then right. they drag along after, uh, you know, their husbands with them. And, you know, um, talk to us about, you know, I, like I said, I'm like the perfect candidate, you know? Uh, so talk to us about how you approach um, men that are either, you notice uh, metabolic syndrome or headed towards that. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, you and I are the same age group, right? We're kind of thinking now as we're not only presidents, we're members of the club. Uh, I, I, I joke that I specialize or have uh, a minor degree in stubborn men. And you're right, you know, women who come to see us or connect with us, ask great questions, are very proactive. Men are different. You know, we know we're from Mars, not from Venus. You know, we, you know, it's not a great state of the union for men's health. I mean, on one hand, we know COVID is much more difficult for men than women. And there's some research that the androgens like testosterone deficiency can make your immune system worse. So is that one of the reasons? And we know metabolic syndrome and just a dysfunctional metabolism and prediabetes and central obesity is more common in men and also bad for COVID. So I think it's not easy being a man who's off his game right now in general, let alone for COVID. Um, but I think of men and, and, and I just wonder, I don't think they appreciate that you know, we die earlier than women. Uh, we often choose the wrong, the wrong Homer, Homer Simpson, rather than the Homer of the Iliad and the Odyssey. And of course, I have to mention the Greeks, but we often don't appreciate that. Uh, and someone said this at a conference many years ago that stuck to me. Someone said, you know, we are half the men of our parents or our fathers and grandfathers. The rates of testosterone have decreased over the number of years, sperm count has decreased, you know, fertility problems have increased, um, diabetes, obesity. So men have had a really tough time of things. They're not apt to talk about it as well as often. You're right, as you said, it oftentimes, uh, the gateway drug, so to speak, is getting a woman involved in the health and then they'll bring in their husband <laughs> or their son or their brother or, or their father. So uh, it's, uh, it's not easy being a man and I think, uh, Society, I think, doesn't, I think, stress some of the virtues of masculinity. Uh, and I have sons and daughters, so I, I appreciate the uniqueness of both. But it's difficult now for men. A lot of young men, I'm finding out, are into gaming. They're not going outside. They're not getting sun. They're not participating in sports. Uh, they're not training as they should. So I, I think whether I see a teenage uh, young man or a, a guy in mid-age like you and I, or even an older man who's broken down a little bit, I find it's very taxing uh, to be a healthy guy in, in modern times. So how do you get this person back in shape or back feeling good? Are there any um, uh, testing that you do to kind of show that? Could you walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, first I take a really detailed history and, and I'm of the, uh, 
the mindset that I'd rather know the person who has an illness than the illness the person has. So really get a sense of their lifestyle, their genetics. We now know, you know, in exciting modern times of health that genetics aren't our destiny. They could be our tendency, but not our destiny. We can actually turn off some of our bad gene tendencies. So getting a sense of their lifestyle, their, their story. Uh, also then looking at some key metrics. One that we always do is measuring body composition. So, you know, I think it's really important to not only know vital signs like blood pressure and heart rate, uh, but also, you know, waist size, body fat. We have a, a body comp machine that measures uh, body fat. So what is their body composition? What's their muscle mass? Are they skinny fat? Are they under muscle? Are they over fat? Uh, it's very encouraging to see even neurologists in the world of cognitive decline and dementia look at muscle mass later in life, correctly pointing out that the more muscle, uh, the better the brain is, right? So I think if, if we lose muscle mass, we really have challenges on our health. So looking at those metrics and then getting a snapshot with some deep dives into their biochemistry. You know, I'm always asking where is this person's biochemistry taking them? And then asking them, you know, if blood is the river of life, let's look and see, where are you? You know, where are your nutrients? Are you deficient in your nutrients? Where are your hormones? You know, not only testosterone, adrenal hormones, thyroid hormones, the insulin hormone, are you storing fat or not? What's your glucose doing? We have a lot of different measurements for glucose. Um, what's happening with inflammation, a lot of different markers of inflammation, including some tests now that measure inflammation specific more to the heart and to arteries versus general inflammation. And then other things like free radicals, uh, advanced cholesterol profiles, um, you know, things of course, like vitamin D and zinc. One of my favorites, Jay, especially for men is, you know, what their essential fats are, what their omega-3 and omega-6 ratios are, how much good fats do they have? We know um, the more healthy fats, the better the brain functions, uh, the better the arteries are, uh, the less inflammation we have. So the nice thing is that the majority of these tests are very well covered by places like Quest and LabCorp. I know it's not always budget neutral seeing providers, seeing physicians uh, engaging in your health, but you know, we can access these through most insurances very, very easily. There are also some opportunities for patients who don't have a doctor as, as, as interested as perhaps you and I are. Uh, there are some companies online where you can get your own blood work done. One of my favorites is Life Extension Foundation, lef.org, where you can sign up and they'll send you a rec and then you can go to a, a local laboratory and get blood work done. So I think it's really important to know your numbers, you know, your blood pressure, your body fat, uh, is your waist bigger uh, than it should be? Have you gained weight since college? And then what are some key metrics from inflammation to nutrients to hormones? And then we can make a personalized plan. Gotcha. Um, you know, you, you touch, I wrote something down here. You mentioned about fasting. Tell me a little bit more about that. Um, I mean, I've heard of intermittent fasting and I've always looked at it as a way to lose weight, but expand a little bit more. How do you look at it? 
Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat biased. You know, growing up one foot in the Greek culture, one foot in the American culture, I would not only visit relatives in the homeland in Greece, but talk to, you know, elderly who were very robust. And our, in our culture, we traditionally fasted during the year, depending on the church calendar. So if it was uh, 40 days before Easter or during Christmas or in the summertime or twice a week, oftentimes on Fridays, we would have fish or, or eat less. So I kind of grew up with this fasting mentality, uh, both for the physical and the metaphysical, you know, for the spiritual and the physical. Um, and never thought more about it than I thought it was important and didn't appreciate all the details. And then as I became a physician and interested in optimal function, I saw all this burgeoning research coming on different fasting modalities being helpful for uh, brain health, cardiac health, weight. Um, so I think there's many different ways to do it. You know, I think the most popular that most of my guys will like it's is the time restricted fasting or the intermittent fast where they're eating for eight or 10 hours a day and then fasting the rest of the time. Um, I think most people should fast about 12 hours anyway, from the last meal to the first meal when they break the fast. Um, so I think most of us don't fast enough just because we eat late and then eat early. Um, so there's a time restricted intermittent fast. There is just under eating a couple of days a week. There's a five, two fast where you just twice a week eat less calories. Uh, there's a fasting mimicking diet based on the good work of uh, Walter Longo, a USC, a PhD interested in health and longevity, looking at once a week eating low, low calorie foods that are plant-based that will cause the, the body to uh, uh, clean out some dead cells and then regrow as you reintroduce foods. So there are many, many ways. Uh, and we think most of them have a caloric restriction component. And there was actually some interesting research. I don't know if you saw this, Jay, where there's an argument saying, uh, is intermittent fast similar to just caloric restriction? Uh, and is that why it works? So I know there's a lot of debate in that sphere, but it's intriguing to me having a lot of patients and friends of Northern European descent, never ever had fast. If you look at the Mediterranean culture or other traditional cultures in Africa and South America and Asia and the Mediterranean uh, have had fasting, you know? So I, th I think uh, it's an old tool that now has seen a resurgence in an exciting yeah. new way. Mm. Um, so Dr. Pappas, uh, is everybody, um, not everybody, I should say, are most people of my age or our age candidates for testosterone or uh, what are the most common symptoms that you see patients come with? Yeah. Um, and you can say, okay, um, you know, you might be a candidate to go on some testosterone replacement therapy. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a great question on the top of most men's minds. Uh, I, I always say, you know, the, uh, the bigger the waist, the lower the testosterone, okay. uh, the more we drink, the lower the testosterone. I'm seeing testosterone deficiencies just exploding in prevalence. You know, I, you know, 20 years ago, I would never measure, measure testosterone in somebody unless they were 65 or 70 or had some erectile dysfunction. The reality is I have 30 year olds and 20 year olds who under so much stress 
and are having bad habits and probably not seeing the daylight and drinking too much, having suboptimal testosterones. So I, I think, you know, the classic symptoms evolve around, uh, or can you have enough energy, create muscles? Are you having optimal erections? Or do you have a good libido? Uh, do you have a morning erection? Uh, men as they age, if they're not in good shape, often lose the morning erection. And that's a uh, manifested in hormones and in nervous system and circulation. Uh, but generally speaking, uh, if men can't lose weight or they're overweight, a low testosterone may be a factor. So even if men have really good libido and good erections, they still could have some hormone deficiency uh, just based on some other facets like depression, fatigue, uh, inability to lose weight. So those are some of the symptoms I look at uh, when I think about testosterone and uh, measuring it. So uh, what is a low number that you consider and, and what do you try to get a guy up to with testosterone replacement therapy? Well, you know, I think about the hormones and testosterone, um, you know, all working together like a symphony or like an orchestra. So when I'll measure them, I'll kind of see how they all interface. Um, a, a, a wise clinician once told me many years ago, it's like Pappas, you know, testosterone, cortisol, stress hormones, mm -hmm. and insulin all push on each other, all influence each other. So I'll kind of look at them in total. Uh, generally, you know, I look at the laboratory that the tests are being done and say, you know, you know, what quartiles this person in or what thirds are they in? And people in the lowest third of a laboratory uh, on multiple readings, because this may change, you know, uh, so if I have more than one reading of a testosterone in the lowest third, um, I'm very intrigued. And I, and I ask myself, I think it needs attention. Um, and I don't often go to the medicine at first. I might say, okay, let's see if we can't clean up your environment, uh, sleep, diet, exercise, resistance training. So uh, there are a number of ways I think guys can improve testosterone without taking a medicine. But in my experience, most men, aren't willing or able to make those changes and then find themselves with lowish numbers. Uh, the problem that you know, Jay, is that the pharmaceutical industry and the medical industry thinks it's only low if it's abnormally low on the lab. So if one range is 200 to 1,000, they'll only say it's low if it's like 198 or 150. Uh, but in, in our world, you know, normal versus optimal are two different things. So if a guy has, you know, uh, symptoms or testosterone in the lowest quartile without improvement, I'll start seeking treatment and, and then we'll look to see is would they benefit from some, some testosterone therapy. Gotcha. And would you say your uh, go-to uh, type of testosterone replacement therapy is a topical? Or, like how do you decide whether you want to go topical or injections? Yeah. Um, now there's even pellet therapy. Um, right. How do you decide? Um, well, you know, historically speaking, and probably the longest track record has been with, with shots. You know, that's one that has had uh, a very good track record. There's a lot of debate how often a, a shot is necessary. It's not easy to give yourself a shot or to go in for a shot. 
And most of my men are understandably turned off if I tell them, you know, you may need a shot. Uh, although I know there's some thinking now recently that, you know, multiple times a week of a lower dose shot can be effective uh, compared to once every two weeks, for example. I really like topical therapy because it's so convenient. Uh, it's very easy to do. Um, the pellets a little bit more challenging. I know they've kind of, uh, there's been some interest in them, but you know, to put a pellet with a procedure under the skin and then to see a, a change slowly over three months where you have less control to me is not an optimal first step. So I usually will say, you know, I, I, I recommend transdermal or a topical skin application as the way to go for most guys. Gotcha. Um, so, um, I know we're talking about men's health, uh, here, anything else that you also see men that you, um, tackle and, you know, when you look at them in totality, you talked a lot about metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, fasting, uh, any cardiovascular, um, yeah, it's a great, great question. You know, I having having a father who's now passed away, but had a heart attack in his 40s and a stroke in his 60s, it really hits home to me. And so I'm very biased on the cardiovascular system. And I realized a long time ago that when you saw these Mediterranean cultures and, you know, specifically post-World War II Greece and Japan and Southern Italy have very low cardiovascular disease. I realized that many men in particular, when they came to this country for all the benefit that it is, and it's such a wonderful place, this, this great country of ours, that it's not easy on the health, especially the cardiovascular system. So cardiovascular disease is still, you know, just exploding in incidents. And it's been very, very challenging to manage. So many of my men who have a low testosterone, for example, uh, also have insulin resistance or prediabetes or metabolic dysfunction, or a glucose that's higher than normal. Um, so I'm routinely screening for cardiovascular disease. Uh, we have some surrogate markers. Uh, when I think of cardiovascular risks, I think about, you know, is the weight increased? Is there diabetes or prediabetes? Is the blood pressure not optimal? Are the cholesterol profiles not optimal? You know, these are some of the standard risk factors, but it seems that in about half the case, men have heart disease and have those, those aspects normal. So there's a growing field of looking at markers of inflammation, uh, looking at advanced cholesterol profiles, looking at the size of the cholesterol, how many cholesterol particles there are, uh, looking at uh, things like lipoprotein A, LPA, which is uh, a marker on the LD part of the LDL that's associated with early atherosclerosis, it's called the widow maker. So a lot of my men who have heart disease have an LPA. It's not usually measured in a traditional cholesterol profile. So I'll, I'll measure that. Um, there's a, a great test called ADMA that tells us about nitric oxide. Nitric oxide is a fascinating molecule that we're learning a lot about. Uh, I first came across that in the sports world. People were taking things like arginine and beetroot powder to increase nitric oxide, to increase energy for an exercise. And now we know those tools can help relax the artery, improve circulation, and that men in particular have nitric oxide problems may have 
erectile dysfunction problems, cardiovascular disease. So there are a lot of surrogate markers in conjunction with, you know, our body habitus, our waist size, our body fat. You know, most of my men who are off their game were higher than 30% body fat. Mm. If I'm looking at optimal body fat, it's probably less than 20%. Um, but a lot of men are at 30% body fat, so they're obese. Um, and then there's some structural tests you can do. Um, a heart scan is a, a radiology CAT scan of the coronary arteries, the heart arteries, see if there's any calcium deposits. That's a pretty good test. It has some side effects. It's a radiation exposure. It measures a calcified lesion after a plaque is healed. My favorite is CIMT, carotid intima media thickness. It's a sonogram or ultrasound of the neck arteries that measures how thick is the uh, inner lining of the artery. As we age, we get thicker arteries. The thicker the artery, the more sludge, uh, the more risk for uh, inflammation, for plaque. So the CIMT can tell us, is there some thickness? Is there a calculated arterial age more? I can have a 50 year old guy with arterial age of a 70 year old because he's very thick. Is there any plaque? as the plaque soft or hard. So a really nice non-invasive test that we do all the time in the office here. And surprisingly, even women, you know, this last year we calculated about half of our women had abnormal CIMTs, but about two thirds of our men to three quarters of our men had abnormal CIMTs. So we see much more in men. Women will catch up to men uh, beginning after menopause and some of these risk factors like cardiovascular disease, but men as early in their 20s and 30s, especially if they have risk factors, can get abnormal CIMTs. So, uh, and we do know that uh, even testosterone is probably helpful for arterial health. Uh, I, I know there's been some famous poor studies done a number of years ago that you and I probably get asked to a lot saying, isn't testosterone bad for the heart? Um, and in my experience, there were just some very flawed studies, but the majority of studies showed that if men take appropriate therapy and their levels are measured and they're tolerating them well, that it's not a problem for their arteries and actually may help their heart, may help their brain. But we'll do blood work and the CIMT or a heart scan. I don't think a stress test is a really good screening test. You know, a lot of my guys said I had a stress test and executive physical. And, you know, my retort is, you know, you can have 80 or 90% blockage and still have a normal stress test because it measures blood flow you want to see what's happening on the arteries in a functional test. So a CIMT and or a heart scan are, I think, are better tests for men to screen for heart disease. And we do them in the office, even for patients who aren't ours. Uh, you know, a lot of friends or family send people over and we'd be happy to have anybody who's listening here that can sign up and do a CIMT. It's a very reasonable cost. It's, there's no radiation involved, but it's a good tool to look at the health of the arteries. So Dr. Pappas, how does someone uh, get in touch with you or make an appointment to consult with you? So I think probably the easiest way is just to get on pappashealth.com and they can either reach out to us, uh, you know, via the website or give a call to our office. Uh, my lead admin is Colin and he's, he's a wonderful uh, resource and, and, and good people and would be happy to help answer any questions. Um, my approach is a little bit different. You know, a lot of my colleagues in the, in the internal medicine world, uh, 
don't look at the ability to maybe consult with people. So I'd say a number of our patients have a physician that they're comfortable with, have a relationship, but then want our take. So we'll come in and get blood work and have us assess it for them, assess their cardiovascular health. Uh, so we both will help manage a patient as a primary care doctor, for example, and be their go-to doc, their family doc for their and their family if they need to for urgent matters and, and medicines, for example. But also a number of our clients just come in for, you know, our take on kind of the state of their union, yeah. uh, looking at blood work, doing the CIMT. So in any kind of capacity, we'd be happy to help people as we've done before. And I think just reaching out to Colin uh, or our team can help uh, facilitate that. Great. So, uh, I mean, I'm glad you answered that because I was wondering myself, what if you do have a primary care practitioner, that's awesome that you collaborate, uh, you can collaborate with you or their practitioner um, to come up yeah, with a whole team I'm, plan. I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm very respectful of relationships, right? And I don't want to step on any toes, but having spoken to a lot of men's groups, I often ask them, especially if they're our age, like mid eight, you know, middle-aged men, I'll ask them, you know, the challenge with most men is they've used their health to acquire wealth. And then later in life, they have to use their wealth to acquire health. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very challenging for men sometimes who are achievers in many facets of their life, not being appreciative of the, the role of their health and having optimal function. So be happy to help guys in any capacity of course, women as well, because we see uh, a number of women, but they're pretty easy. You know, women just get all this and they ask great questions and they actually fill out the forms before they come in and they have a to-do list. And they've told me, I spoke to Jay and he said this and this, or I spoke to my girlfriend, you know, the guys are more interested in the, you know, the uh, sports scores or, uh, you know, work environment, unfortunately, than their health. Uh, one last question, Dr. Pappas, because, uh, you know, What's your thoughts or opinion on you start on testosterone replacement therapy and, you know, prostate enlargement or prostate cancer, any concerns or could you share your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a great, great question. It's such a common question. Uh, I'm respectful. I'm respectful of the testosterone's potential effects. And in some men, you know, there is the potential to have, uh, in a large prostate get worse with testosterone or to see a prostate lab marker like the PSA increase. Um, but I was taught many, many years ago that if there's prostate problems or prostate cancer, you know, men cannot be on testosterone. But there's been some exciting research in the urology world and the prostate cancer world, especially out of Harvard, um, that's looked at low-grade prostate cancer patients who are on testosterone and they've done very, very well for the most part. Um, paradoxically, most men uh, who are older and have a higher prostate cancer risk often have low testosterone, have metabolic syndrome. So it, it, it does make sense that they would probably benefit from it. Um, but again, you want to do it cautiously. Yeah. Uh, a number of my men aren't interested in measuring their levels. Uh, following it closely. And those aren't optimal candidates, right? You, you want to, just like a thyroid replacement, you want to track these hormones. You want to assess the symptoms. So I will get medicationally where their PSA, prostate blood test might spike up a little bit and then we'll just stop the testosterone. Uh, or maybe their prostate enlargement symptoms are worse. By and large, it's the opposite. Most men feel better. 
if BPH or benign prostate hypertrophy or enlarged prostate, if that's associated with weight gain and prediabetes and through lifestyle and testosterone that improves, often the urination will get better. Uh, so I definitely think one of the key tenants, Jay, and you do this so well, is personalizing it. You know, I know when I've called you about clients, I mean, you've been very good about saying, let me talk to them and see if this is a right fit. Uh, I was impressed when I was looking up different testosterone treatments and I had said, Jay, I heard about, you know, transdermal on the scrotal uh, as testosterone. And you said, let yeah. me check it out here. Here's what I've seen. This is great. So I think the collaboration with, you know, my people and your people is so key. I think physicians and pharmacists uh, are just key members of the team. Uh, and I think a person's health is too important just to leave to the healthcare system. Mm. Uh, I like to say our, our peers in the academic world are more like the Greeks interested in theory. And a lot of us are like the Romans interested, you know, in action and practical. And we need both. You know, we need the Romans and the Greeks, but I think a lot of our peers are just waiting for that perfect trial and aren't interested in optimizing their health and utilizing, you know, medicines and hormones. Uh, so I'm grateful to work with you and have the ability to uh, personalize a product, uh, create uh, a hormone, to create a medicine that can help somebody uh, get better. Well, thank you very much for that. And thank you for discussing uh, this uh, very comprehensively all this information today. Um, I do want to say to all the listeners and the viewers, you know, this is just for informational purposes. By no means this information is for diagnosis or treatment. Um, for our listeners, uh, if you have any questions, um, please you can contact me at j at compoundingcenter.com. And please visit Dr. Pappas's website, drpappashealth.com. Uh, and thank you, everyone. Um, thanks, and see you on the next episode. Take care, Jay. Thanks so much. Thank you.